the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What does the coverage of the royal family say about our obsession with celebrity? And then, what is plagiarism in a sermon? We finally reflect on Queen Elizabeth's legacy of faith. And later, how to master the art of doing nothing. You're listening to The Common Friend. Happy Monday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. Happy Here I'm Monday. Amy. <laughs> Jumping in on Monday. Here we go. It is fall. It is cold. The Bears are 1-0. My Giants are 1-0. So exciting. It is. We are full-fledged into the fall. We're glad you're with us on this Monday afternoon. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Aubrey Sampson. How are you today on this uh, little bit of a cool Monday? It's a little cool, which in one sense I'm glad because it's starting to feel like fall and I do enjoy the fall. Pumpkin things for you. But I was telling you, it's, I mean... Okay, I gotta like get, I gotta like slap my face a little bit to wake up. Like I still feel tired. It feels a little dreary. I'm a little bland. Slap your face. I want to see it. <laughs> Not Do actually. It. <laughs> I'm metaphorically <laughs> slap my face. I feel bleh. I feel bleh this Monday. So okay. I, you might have to carry the show today. I Brian. think by the end of our two hours together, you will have changed. You think so? There will be you, no more blah. I mean, you get to talk about the queen today. We're, we're, oh, we're bringing it. We're bringing man, it. that's such a sad. That just like brings down the atmosphere. But you're right. We get to talk about the queen today yes. finally. And I'll get there, Brian. There I'll be go. here for you. It's just going to take me a minute. There you go. Let me start there. I know later we're going to jump in and talk about the queen. But I want to talk about royal family. In, okay. You and I, we make jokes about it. We read People magazine. Yeah, I yeah. make Meghan Markle jokes. All sorts of stuff. But here's the deal. Watching the news and particularly being online this week, uh, I was doing some research for our show this morning, and uh, I, I was on a website, a, like a regular news website, yeah. and their top five stories were about the royal family, and they weren't about the queen dying anymore. Oh. It was four of the five were about Prince William, Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, Kate Middleton, oh. that whole relationship, oh. the whole deal where they all walked out together the other day. But then there's all this behind the scenes stuff. And it got me thinking, like, this isn't our royal family. Right. 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 Uh, what is. And again, you love the royal I family. I do love the royal family. But what is our obsession with, like, the inner workings and the relationships? Mm. And I think it goes beyond the royal. Let's start with the royal family. But then I think it goes to just celebrities in general. Like, how many people do yeah. we as a culture care about that right. if you really sat back, you'd go. This Why do I care to do at with me? all about whether Prince Harry and Prince William are getting <laughs> along or whether they're wives or yeah. whether Prince Charles like uh, shushed away a servant the other day or whatever else yeah. happened the other day? I understand caring that the queen died. Right. But what does it say? Like, I'm trying to get my arms around it because it feels like it's exploded. And all I'm seeing on my news feeds are Prince Harry and Prince William stuff. And we live in America. Like, isn't this why we fought the Revolutionary War? <laughs> so like, we... not to do this? What's it tell us about celebrity culture? Yeah. And is it weird? Why Why our interest? Okay, so I feel like the royal conversation is perhaps different than the 
celebrity conversation, although I do see some similarities. I, I think part of the fascination with the royal family is because we're American and we just it's so foreign to us to understand right. like what what that is to have a monarchy. And because movies have been made and shows have been made and because of I think Diana probably too. Like yeah. I just think there's an interest because we don't have anything like that here in the States. But the closest thing we do have is our celebrity. So that's kind of interesting. I've always thought, like, if we... Okay, this is going to sound weird. If we lived in a time where there were, like, demigods walking on this earth, right? Where, like, certain people were... You know, if Greek mythology was real and there were demigods walking on this earth... That I just cel- want to see where this ends. <laughs> celebrities are sort of our like version of that. They're beautiful. They're wealthy. They're successful. They seem quote unquote charmed. Like they live the good life mm-hmm. again, quote unquote. And so there is something fascinating about that. Like celebrities almost being like a, like an inspirational person for people right like uh you you sort of aspire whether or not you want to admit it you sort of aspire to like wow whatever they have going for them that's special that's so i think that's part of it i think it's also an escape fantasy like kind of gets you away from your ordinary life you can like follow these celebrities and all the cool things that they're doing i imagine if we got into the actual life of a celebrity it's really really hard work really really tedious and like yeah there's success and you get to go on great vacations and get great clothes but also like you can't go to the grocery store without people hounding you so i mean i think like we don't think about the reality we think about the fantasy so i would say a couple things about celebrity one and uh i'm not going to give the details here but if anybody wants to like do you think of the kardashians right like they are like there's something just weird about our culture's fascination with them. Like I they're famous the for being famous. I would encourage anybody who didn't read the news of Mama Kardashian this weekend to Google it of what's been going on this Did weekend. Did you see her on James? Was it James Corden or she was on? Uh... She took a lie detector test on one of the talk shows. It was so I did. funny. I yeah. did. And yeah. uh, let's just say, anyway, I would Google it and you're going to learn about how manipulative and how orchestrated celebrity is in our culture. But here, let me ask you this. Yeah. Why do we care about the personal lives of celebrity? Again, Prince William and Prince Harry are, they're kind of celebrity, kind of whatever, yeah. or whatever they yeah. are. I read, uh, and maybe I'm the issue here, I'm reading these articles at times, but I read more articles this week and saw more articles like psychoanalyzing Prince Harry and Prince William's relationship. What do we make of the fact that Prince Harry was holding Meghan Markle's hand, but Prince William was standing five feet from his wife while they were walking away? What about how people reacted to them? And it was like, it was weird. Like, even I, who read People magazine Uh when I can and who Uh watch these things, was like, all right, this is a bit much, and it's it's no longer about the queen dying, yeah, right? That's but it's what's about sad. The, that's it's really about sad. like all of this, and it is something. The way that we're talking about them is the exact same way we do movie stars, and totally. we do. And, and yeah. I guess maybe there's no real answer. Speak to this: Is there a danger oh. for us in the way that we have this kind of celebrity obsession and this celebrity reverence in our culture? Yeah. I- probably is right i mean like any like anything i think like for instance i love the kardashians like i think they're so entertaining and those are words very... that have probably never been spoken on these airwaves yeah, I know, that's probably, that's probably true. <laughs> like i just am very entertained by them but i don't 
like they don't consume my life. I don't make decisions based on them. I don't. I I actually don't think they're just famous for being famous. They run a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but I um I don't buy their products. That kind of thing. So that to me feels like a safe way to like enjoy, laugh, be entertained by, but not be consumed by. I think perhaps when it becomes idolatry, like like I do think there are some celebrities that can sort of steal your heart, mm. and you don't actually know them in real life. But uh, you know, if you're not careful, you can begin to fantasize as if you know them, as if you're close to them, as if they're like your main inspiration, your source for whatever, like just like any idol when they're not in their proper place and you start worshiping them. I think that's danger. Or when you begin to think, well, life is only good when I've achieved that sort of level of success, like that kind of stuff can, those lies I think can begin to be dangerous. But if we have healthy perspective, like, yeah, they're talented. I enjoy this one thing they make or do or whatever. Cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to have just like everything. Celebrity has to be in. Uh, and you used the re- I think you used an interesting word earlier when you used the word escape. Like if you're constantly doing things to escape your own life. Yeah. Probably a bad sign. Definitely. Probably a, definitely a bad sign. a flag to pay attention to. All right, Aubrey. Alistair Begg. I love listening to Alistair Begg for a couple different reasons. One, top of the list accent it's the accent for me it what is a great it accent. is the accent like i actually don't even really care what he says yes <laughs> i'm just like yep keep saying whatever it is yes and two his theology is just there's a depth to it Definitely. there's just to his preaching to yeah. all of this yeah he i found this clip and this is from a few years ago where he was speaking well I, I, let's just listen to it he's speaking about when that when you walk into church and how do we speak about God from the front? What do we ask of people? Mm. Uh, I found this to be convicting and hilarious all at the same time. Let's listen to Alistair Begg. Essentially, the band did what it did. And then the, the person who was to lead the, the praise, his opening gambit was this. Hey, how do you all feel this morning? Well, that was enough for me. I was ready. We could have had the benediction right there. That was so good. (laughs) I thought, what kind of New Testament question is that? How do you all feel this morning? If I told you how I feel, especially in light of the last five minutes, you would question whether I was even a Christian at all. So don't ask me that question. Ask me what I know. Ask me what I know. Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about his word. Ask me what I know to be a verity that can deal with my soul. That's what I need. Don't make me sing songs about how I feel. Don't. The silly repetitive songs again and again. I just want to praise you. Lift my hands and say I love you. You are everything to me. Goodness, at half past eight on a Sunday morning, I'm barely ambulatory. I can't start there. And you want me to say that? I just kicked the dog and I don't even have a dog. I, I, I got argued with someone because they took my parking space. I never had spilled my coffee. I didn't read my Bible. I'm a miserable wretch. And now you want me to start here. How do you feel? I feel rotten. That's how I feel. What do you got for me? The answer, nothing. I got nothing for you. That's why you have to get yourself under the control of the scriptures. That's why it is what we know 
the verities of the scriptures, which then fuel our hearts and our emotions and lead us on. All right. Aubrey, how does that make you feel? What do you think about that? How do I feel about yes, that? Yes, how do you feel? I think that's the wrong question. <laughs> I like how we talk about kicking the dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I actually, there's a couple a couple thoughts came to mind. One, I, I, um, you and I have talked about how sometimes the worship scene can feel a little bit too like it's, you don't know if it's a love pop song that's or right. if it's a song about God. Yep. And that, um, in one sense, there needs to be like a gravitas when we're coming together to worship God together. Not that it has to be heavy and dark and sad, although I do think there's a place for lament in our worship, but that's a whole so, other topic. So you said. Uh, um, <laughs> but that the a reverence, perhaps a worship and a not. But can I say something to counteract what Alistair Begg it's said? It's your show. You're here. Um, if you're new. Mm-hmm. To church, you've never walked into church for the first. You've never walked into church before, or you're starting out figuring out what this whole church thing is. I think he's being a little too harsh on. It seems like to me he's speaking to long-term Christians and mm. forgetting that there might be non-Christians or new people in the room, and they need to feel welcomed and engaged. And I think a worship pastor saying, "How you feeling? How's everybody doing?" is simply that. And he's making it perhaps a bigger deal than it ought Mm. to be. Like, I think we have to be mindful of both fact and feeling new people, long-term Christians, those who are at church for the first time, those who like somehow, I guess, why not both is my response Mm. to this. Why not both question mark, Mm -hmm. but you really liked this. Let's hear what you have to say. So I I get what you're saying there, but I think Alistair Begg, let me put words in his mouth without the great accent. Uh, Wish I, he would try that out, uh, yeah, Brian. I, I think what he would say is, you're setting them up. If I'm new to a church and mm-hmm. a guy gets up or a girl gets up and it's like, how are you feeling? You're probably like, confused. Yeah, okay. Uh, scared. Okay. Yeah. Or, and you're probably... Overwhelmed. You're probably feeling a little bit on the outs anyway yeah. from just that question when yeah. everyone else is like, great. Hey. Right. And there's just kind of this happy-go-lucky. Right. But I do get what you're saying. I appreciate his... And if you re- read or listen to Alistair Begg at all, you know this is a common mantra. But I appreciate the let's talk about what we know about God, mm. not what we feel about ourselves. Let's mm. talk about who God is, not what we yeah. think and hope or what we yeah. think about. So much of our theology, yeah. worship music, but beyond that is I'm going to read a text. How does it make me feel? I'm going to sing a song yeah. about how I feel. Right, it's, right. And it I understand gets back that. to what we talked about before. When I'm feeling bad or then angry, what do I do? Now, what yeah. I know about God doesn't sustain right. me. I think he wants to say, can we please anchor our worship and our lives in what we know about God? Mm-hmm. Because that's the firm foundation. Yeah, that's actually something Jackie Hill Perry was on Instagram, I think, last week. And she was talking about how... Like, even if you don't feel God's presence with you, she's like talking about people who say, I don't feel God. I don't know. She's like, that doesn't change the fact that God is with you. Like, we have to remember the reality of who God is, not just what we feel. So I understand. I I understand that piece of it. And I would agree with that piece of it, that we need to anchor ourselves in the truth of who God is and what the word says and not just like our kind of uh, roller coaster, wishy-washy emotions I still think there's a place for fact and feeling in the life of a believer and that God is actively at work in like, sometimes I think there's a narrative that like emotions, bad, good point, head, good. Yep. And our faith is not 
mental ascent. Our mm-hmm. faith is union with Christ. And so there is um, a place for fact and feeling, logic and emotion, like because we are whole creatures and God cares about all of us. So I, 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 I guess I'm still like a little bit pushing back on why not both yeah, question yeah. mark. But but one, I guess the feeling has to be subservient to the um, I don't want to say to logic, but to the truth in God's word about to what God. We know. Yeah. The veritas, the, as he says. I like say that. It, say it as he said. Ver, verity, the God's verities. There you go. Pretty good. There you right? go. Uh, I, I, Loch Ness monster. I, I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> Lucky charm. I, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I should just end this. <laughs> I'll stop. I'll I stop appreciate now. you saying. Let's not go too far here and remove emotion. Yeah. That happens in the church also yeah. all too often. Yeah. Let's not remove that. We are emotional beings, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But let's not. I do think we would agree with Alistair Baker. Let's not let emotion trump everything else, including what That's we know it. about God. Because That's sometimes it. emotions are bad. That's sometimes true, we right. are sad You're and right. we are angry yep. uh, and that can't go. So a great word. Uh, what do you think Alistair Begg's favorite breakfast cereal is? <laughs> Although that's Irish and he's Scottish, right? I don't know. Loch Ness Monster Crisps. It, it all sounds the Kilt. same. Kilt. <laughs> Are you just going to say words now? I'm just going to say what Scottish we're gonna things. Do? Is this how we're going to do this? Is that how we're going to do Scotch tape. Uh, Golf. <laughs> here we go. All right, Brian. I, I feel like before we say anything, I want to play some audio of the newly uh, titled... Coronated. Coronated King Charles announcing the death of his mom last week. Let's listen to that. My lords, ladies and gentlemen, it is my most sorrowful duty to announce to you the death of my beloved mother, the Queen. I know how deeply you, the entire nation, and I think I may say the whole world, sympathize with me in the irreparable loss we've all suffered. It is the greatest consolation to me to know of the sympathy expressed by so many to my sister and brothers and that such overwhelming affection and support should be extended to our whole family in our loss. To all of us as a family, as to this kingdom and the wider family of nations, of which it is a part, my mother gave an example of lifelong love and of selfless service. My mother's reign was unequaled in its duration, its dedication and its devotion. Even as we grieve, we give thanks for this most faithful life. Okay, I I said this on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this, Brian, but I have enjoyed the pomp and circumstance around both uh, his like being raised to kinghood, kingdom hood. I'm not exactly kingship. Kingship. Thank you. This is why America, I don't have words for these things. And also just the seriousness of queen Elizabeth's death, you know, her, her coffins passing mm-hmm. through the, the countryside. And um, I, it was a little funny to see when they, they like announced King Charles, they said, hip, hip, Hooray! That was funny. Hip hip 
hooray. And I had a friend on Twitter say, do they really say hip hip hooray to announce the new king? But I've enjoyed watching the the pomp and circumstances around everything that's happening here because we just don't have much of that in the States. Yeah, I found it. I, too, have watched a bunch of it. And the pomp and circumstances is interesting. Um you know, Prince Charles turning into King Charles and all of that. I have had this feeling of, and I know they are, they're used to this, I suppose, in their life by now, but there doesn't seem like a ton of room to, um, to grieve the loss of his I mom. I feel and so I know she's 96 right. and this, that, but, uh, but you also felt that way at the great tragedy of Princess Diana. You did that feel there, that way. Was there an ability to yeah. grieve? And so... Every now and then he says things or something we talked about before, right? Like there are clearly relational fractures between William and Harry right. or Harry and his dad, now the king. Yeah. And it, it, I, I constantly find myself thinking, how can they ever work on those? How can they? There's no space or time to do no, that. No. And, yeah. and that in some ways makes me sad. That goes back to the celebrity culture that we talked about before. Yeah. But with that said, the pomp and circumstances is pretty fun. It's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to like bear witness to as an outsider anyway. After 70 years on the throne, Queen Elizabeth uh, II's name, title, face, and likeness are, of course, like deeply ingrained on the hearts of the people in uh, Britain and here in the U.S. as well. But here's what's interesting. Things like British coins, British flags, post boxes, chocolate wrappers, even gin labels, business cards. All of that has to change now to King Charles. So they're like going through a major... Their national anthem changes now. uh, Wall Street Journal is calling it an imperial-sized rebrand. That's really funny. Their national anthem is changing? I mean, it's the same national anthem, except there's a part in the national anthem where it says, God save the queen. And now they say, God save the king. Correct. Correct. I mean, that... And 70 years to have done that. That's like... I mean, wow, what a change. All uh, I was reading at Wall Street Journal, all British passports are issued in the name of Her Majesty. Those are still valid for passports, but apparently the wording on the inside will be changing to His Majesty. So that's kind of a you know it, interesting to think about mm-hmm. like the sweeping changes that that will mean. But I think one of the things that's really interesting for us is one of the sweeping changes is how this might affect the Church of England, mm. because the Queen was the head of the Church of England and had a very sincere faith in Jesus Christ. Christianity Today was talking about this, that um, the weeks after her coronation, I think it was three weeks later, the Queen followed the historical precedent and swore to maintain the Church of Scotland, honoring her duty to preserve the settlement of the true Protestant religion as established by the laws made in Scotland. The Church of Scotland is Presbyterian and recognizes only Jesus Christ as King and head of the Church resulting in Her Majesty's lack of official title and participation as a regular member. But Mm -hmm. here's what they're saying at Christianity Today. The Queen's faith was more than just a product of polite deference to historical tradition. Throughout her reign, she articulated the importance of her faith and recommended it to her subjects. This is a quote from her in 2000. For me, the teaching of Christ, the teachings of Christ, and my own personal accountability before God— Provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. Mm. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. Um, Interesting to me that the queen consistently celebrated religious tolerance and diversity, but was a faithful follower of Jesus. Right. And I think that legacy is one. 
I mean, billions of people have been influenced by Jesus's teachings through the queen. And and it's interesting because we do this and it's uh, I get it. It's a weird thing, especially with like politicians or famous yeah. people where you try to parse their words and be like, are they a really right, a believer right. or are they just like, you know, it's what the queen does or it's right. what this. Yeah, I mean, you read her words from throughout the decades and there seemed to be a real genuine mm-hmm. faith there, a real um, reliance upon the prayers of the people. Yeah. The uh, She talks a lot about the examples, the teachings, the life of Jesus and yeah. the role it played. Billy Graham spoke about her friendship and yep. all of this stuff. There seems to be over the span of her reign uh, a real um, – Again, I, I feel uncomfortable saying this about people one way or the other, but I'll do it anyway. There seemed to be a real genuine uh, faith in Jesus, which yeah. um, makes you wonder how did that affect then the last 70 years of Great Britain? Well, or- so it's interesting. I, I talked to a friend, and this is all just totally theoretical, okay? But hear, hear me out. I talked to a friend who actually worked closely with Billy Graham, Mr. Graham, she called him. And she said that his relationship with the queen, you know, was very close. He never would meet with her alone because she was a woman. (laughs) But they did did meet. It even goes to the monarchy. (laughs) Um, But that she said her faith was, in fact, very sincere. And and um, my friend's assumption, again, this is all just sort of like hearsay, but was that um, the way God has sort of protected England from a lot of harm mm. is perhaps connected to her faith, her prayer, the prayers of the people. And I'm not saying, oh, now that like there's a new day, all of a sudden England's going to have all this harm. But um, there were some conversations about that, like God's hand of grace and mercy over England because yep. of her loyalty. And I, you know, I don't know if that's true or not true, but I think the point is she had a reputation even amongst Billy Graham people that she really was a woman. Faith. Yeah, and there's a lot. There, there's complexity too, right? Like mm-hmm. the colonialism and the Absolutely. imperialism of Great Britain. Yep. But I guess what we want to say also is we've spent a lot of time on this show speaking about how the character of your leadership matters. Yeah, and there seems to be, if for nothing else, you could disagree with everything the Queen stood for. You could yep. disagree with all of this stuff. There did seem to be a character of leadership that that we can hold on to. And, you know, have we seen that in King Charles leading up to you? wonder. I think we're going to see some interesting changes here and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yep. All right, Brian. Well, as we end, I'm going to try it on you. Hip hip. Lucky charms. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Do it again. All right. Okay. Here we go. Hip hip. Hooray. All right. God save the King of England. Brian, over the past couple of weeks, specifically because of the Matt Chandler story, Mm -hmm. for those of you who may have missed it, Matt Chandler, big pastor at uh, the Village Church in. Yep. Outside of Dallas. Outside of Dallas. Uh, made an announcement that he was taking a leave of absence because of frequency and familiarity online communication with a friend. And Twitter, of course, went wild. Uh, Social media went wild. People speculating on all kinds of things that either it was more than it they're saying that it was that it was less than they're saying it was that it was, you know, anyway, everyone had opinions. You and I have talked about it enough. But one of the conversations that has really 
I think kind of made its way to the forefront around this thing is about the Billy Graham rule. We actually just talked about that when we were talking about Queen Elizabeth because Billy Graham actually met with Queen Elizabeth but followed the Billy Graham rule. He never (laughs) met with her alone. It's all all about being Uh, consistent. Right. And our friend uh, Karen Swallow Pryor, she's over at religionnews.com, she wrote a little bit about the Billy Graham rule. And I think, as always, she brings such wisdom to this um, conversation because she does talk about it as – a challenge and yeah. a tension. And so she's not one to be like, let's just ignore the dynamics between men and women, but also let's consider another side too. So I really appreciate what she has to say. And she she starts out, Brian, by um, talking about how she was speaking at a conference mm. and was asked to get a ride to the uh, regional airport. And apparently there was another female presenter. There was some overlap in airport time. And there was a young man assigned to take people to and from the airport. They were trying to coordinate everything, but he wasn't allowed to drive alone mm. with a woman. And unfortunately, what uh, Karen is saying is that day, these airport rides to and from, one of the speakers was old enough to be his grandma. He was a <laughs> seminary student. She said, I was old enough to be his mother. She said, both of us, according to scripture, ought to have been treated as sisters in Christ. This made them feel like not sisters yeah. in Christ. But then she says, even so, I understand the complexities and competing concerns. Like all matters of Christian life and belief, getting this question right is an achievement of delicate balance. She goes on to talk about the technology uh, allowing text message, Instagram DMs, Facebook Messenger This has kind of blurred the space on conversations between men and women. She also talks about how Christians believe in in and celebrate the createdness and goodness of our bodies and all that is inherent to being male and female. On the other hand, she says scripture instructs believers who are not married to each other to treat each other as brothers and Mm -hmm. sisters. Anyway, she's just kind of saying that there is a tension here, but she says this. Christians, more than anyone else, ought to have the most robust and healthiest understanding of friendship, including or especially between men and women. She talks Mm. about Jesus being intimate friends with Mary and Martha, Paul being friends with Priscilla and Aquila. You say Aquila or Aquila? Aquila. I've never known if it's Aquila or Aquila. Aquila sounds right. Um, Anyway... So what do you think, Brian? What do you think about where she's wrapping things up? What I really appreciate that Karen has done here is said, this is a complex issue that people land on different areas Uh in. Like this is there's a continuum here. I think we get ourselves in trouble. We're like anyone who follows the Billy Graham rule is this, this and this and you're blah, blah, blah. Or anyone who doesn't is just, you know, uh, you know, asking for trouble. And this. I, I appreciate that Karen says, listen, uh, There's complexities Mm -hmm. here. People in the way they've been raised and the things they've experienced and whatever else are going to think differently about this subject. Uh, Billy Graham or, you know, in recent years, Mike Pence or others are not bad people for not, you know, even the person who didn't drive to the airport. She's like, well, it made me feel this way. But that's uh, the person wasn't sitting. That person's not doing a bad thing. So first, I appreciate Karen saying, hey, this is a tough one. Mm -hmm. This is let's like not do what we do on Twitter and just tell you, you're wrong yeah. for this and you're wrong yeah. for this. Um, because sometimes innocent interactions lead to things, yeah. but also sometimes completely cutting, say women uh, out of your life, as you said, is, is 
uh, painful to the woman and yeah. stops her from being able to be a part of work yeah. conversations and yeah. this that. And so it's not an easy conversation. You know, for me, I think we keep landing on a spot that's kind of in the middle that says, you know what? Especially in this day and age, it's just not possible in a work environment. And you and I made this point last week, too, that this is a uniquely, it feels like, church discussion. Totally. That there aren't a lot of you know yep. law firms out there going, yep. here's the room for men and women to meet <laughs> right, in. Not at all. Um, in fact, but, I think there'd be some major HR problems yeah, there if there were. But yep. also, that might also speak to... Hopefully, Christians saying I have a higher standard yeah, for yeah. not even the um, the impression of impropriety. Yeah. So, again, you could take that either way. I think um, I, I appreciate her saying we need to talk about being brothers and sisters in Christ, having healthy relationships, healthy boundaries, being able to work together. And so, you know, in my own life, if, if I need to meet with a woman, uh, I gladly do it. Yeah. And yeah. I attempt to do it. Uh, out and about. Yeah, we're gonna meet at a Starbucks. We're yeah. gonna meet at the local Panera. We're yeah. gonna meet at instead of the church. I, I work in a smaller church, so often I'm the only one in the church, or there's one other person on the other side of the building, or whatever else it might be. Uh, so having those kind of and that feels like wisdom. Yeah, and then also as you pointed out last week, looping your spouse in. Yeah. Hey, I need to have this meeting with this person. Mm-hmm. You good with it? Mm-hmm. Uh, would you prefer I do it? At the Starbucks or whatever else. Hey, that is keeping uh, what's most important relationship in your life in the know. And that's important. Here's how Karen kind of wraps her article up. And I think this is really helpful. She she essentially talks about how the Billy Graham rule can't be one size fits all. Yep, It it just doesn't work that way because maybe there are. uh, Well, first of all, she says it doesn't protect anyone who has a like homosexual liaison. So there's that. But also, like, there might be some people you shouldn't meet with, but there are lots of people you can and you can have different versions of. She even talks about, like, I've got Wordle friends that are men. That's different than the men I work with. You know what I mean? So anyway, but here's how she wraps things up. She says, I appreciate my male colleagues who don't refuse to discuss work or catch up with uh, with me for coffee or lunch because I'm a woman. I treasure the male friend who texts me nonstop book recommendations. I'm thankful for the ministry leader I met in the green room of a conference event who engaged me in extended conversation and didn't end abruptly simply because everyone else had drifted out of the room. Rather, he honored and respected me as a fellow human being. I'm grateful for the men who will pick me up or return me to the airport during a professional event without requiring a chaperone or initiating an awkward conversation about such normal circumstances. Even apart from abiding friendship, men and women must live, work, worship, and be together in many other ways. Thus, one-size-fits-all mandate rules cannot replace biblical wisdom. The common humanity God gave us or the scriptural injunction to treat one another as brothers and sisters. Mm, I thought that was such, that's really good. such a good word from her. She's so, so wise. That's right. Do you feel like it's time yet for like fall food? Like is it chili and baked potato oh, time yet? Oh, yes. Uh, chili is back at Panera. Oh, it is. Yes. That's so exciting. Yes. Uh, now they've taken away some. This is first world problems. They've taken away some of their summery spring stuff oh, that sad. I also like. Yeah. I just want to be like, just keep it on. Right. We keep chili all year. I like chili in summer, but. It's back, and okay. there is something nice about going to Panera and yeah. getting that chili when it's cold outside. So, yeah, I think so. I, unless it's got pumpkin in it. Unless it's got pumpkin in it. Pumpkin I mean, chili. Pumpkin. I don't think so. Yeah, pum- chili and like a potato or a sweet potato. That sounds good. Maybe that's what I'm going to go home and make for dinner tonight. Anyway, we hope you're going home for something warm and cozy and have a beautiful evening ahead of you. 
Brian, we haven't had a conversation about good old CRT in a while, critical race theory. And I know me just saying that some of you listeners are already like (gasps) on edge. Don't worry, we're not going to go too far talking about CRT. But something came up on uh, social media, as it does over the weekend. There was a story of a former superintendent, pretty large school district, um, who said that CRT was is bad. Excuse me. And But then he said, because it would teach students that American chattel slavery was a very terrible thing, which, quote, leaves out the fact that there were many, many positive things that happened in our country during the time we had slavery. Uh, pretty uh, inadequate way to talk about slavery. But let's go ahead and listen to what he had to say, and then we'll unpack it. Okay, I just want to talk about the fact that... Uh... Uh, critical race theory as far as being taught in the public schools you know i what i want to try to do is give you an example or a couple of examples of what it might be that your child would hear if he was in the school and there was an example of critical race theory being taught so forgive me for about two minutes here but i'm going to be the teacher you'll be the class okay And I'm going to just give you what I think might be a good example. Okay, class, we're studying about the Civil War and slavery. Okay, we realize that slavery was a very terrible thing. Uh, It infected the entire country. It was detrimental to, in so many different areas of our country, uh, and it was just really a a plague on, on what occurred. In, in our country up until the date of the Civil War. All right. Now, is that a critical race theory statement? Yes. Because it leaves out the fact that there were many, many positive things that happened in our country during the time that we had slavery. So a teacher's job is to have balance, not to give one point of view, and then you don't even have to blast the other side. All you got to do is not mention it. And that's an example of critical race theory. Okay, so I this came to my attention, Brian, because Derwin Gray, uh, a pastor that we've had on the show before and who we both like and follow, he said this, respectfully, an educated person that educates our children should not be this woefully inadequate on the topic, this topic. It's hard for me to fathom that an educated person would say such things. Mm. God help us. And... Lots of people. I mean, it's interesting. Lots of people were, of course, commenting on it, um, jumping on the guy, etc. Um, I I think for me, somebody somebody said this, a guy named Duke Kwan, who's also a pastor. He said this, quote, there were many, many positive things that happened in Germany during the Holocaust. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's that same mindset. Like, why in the world would you feel the need to say something like that instead of just straight up condemning chattel slavery? I don't understand it. So sometimes it feels like people want to seem smart, smarter than they are. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, there's. You can be completely anti-CRT. That's not even what he, in the end, is talking about, right? right? Like, but to go like, you could just see this guy being like, "I'm smarter than the people in the room here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach them something." That's always bothersome. And here's a couple other points. Uh, Anytime that you go, "Hey, slavery wasn't all that bad. Hey, the Holocaust wasn't all that bad." 
hey, 9-11 wasn't all that bad. I'm just trying to make a list of the yeah. ridiculous ones. Yeah. You're you're not smart. You're dumb. You're you're <laughs> heading in a bad spot. Everybody can agree that those are bad things. Right. Evil whether things. There, whether there was, a, you know, a small percentage of benevolent uh, Nazis or benevolent yeah. slave owners or benevolent right. doesn't matter. Right. Slavery is is a uh, is a terrible thing in our history. Yeah. It's like an evil to be reckoned with. And I think this is what bothers me about America in general. I love our country. I do. I love our country. We have been unwilling to deal with the sin and the evil of slavery. We are just unwilling to own that we did this horrific thing to people and evil thing to people. And we always try to couch it in like, but for the economy, but it's like, no, 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 we don't. Before our own sin and evil, we don't balance the scales. We just say, God, we are so sorry. And I know some people are saying, well, that's our ancestors. That wasn't us. The reality is it wasn't that far removed. Like, uh, and we haven't ever dealt with it. Like, I just don't think we've owned up to the horrors in our nation and the sin. And I think even the demonic presence that's here because of slavery. Like, we just haven't said, God, we're sorry publicly. People were sorry publicly. And to try to couch it in, like you said, anything with the Holocaust, anything that's viciously evil to try to be like but good things happened so i would like to say that 99.9 percent of the people out there would say what this guy said was inappropriate that's why it's going around twitter yeah that's Uh, true that's a good point i I would say that uh i would say the vast majority of people that i know i'll speak for myself yeah believe slavery was a terrible thing I, i i get I think there is a conversation to be had about what do you mean and what does it look like to say you're sorry culturally because we might disagree about that. Yeah. But I do believe that this is – I just don't understand why people open up their mouth and say, you know what would be a good idea? When I I get up there, this is what I'm going to share. Yeah. (laughs) Just, hey, this is – it's just – and especially to be honest with you – what you can't see when you're looking when you're listening on the radio is it's a white guy and everybody in the room everybody is a white guy. White. Yeah. And so or white person. Yeah. And so that's also, you know, poor form uh, speaking to something that didn't affect you. Right. Um, whether it be race or socioeconomic or whatever uh, you can have opinions on. Yeah. But speaking authoritatively probably isn't helpful. Yeah. Um, and so I think people we do need to just say, OK. Uh, let's just have debates about things that we're having debates about. Like there's legitimate debates to be had around CRT that sure. I don't know why you would say, you know what? It's going to be, you, you know, what's going to win this debate, a good old fashioned slavery take. Yeah. That's not what CRT is about. Yeah. And that's not what most people. Well, who, that's it. It's not even, that's and, not even CRT. Right? And 99% again of people who are anti-CRT mm-hmm. aren't anti-CRT because of the wrong way in this guy's yeah. opinion, it's going to paint the positives about slavery. Yeah. Nobody's going to say that. So don't try to be smarter than you are. Mm. Have the debates that are mm. out there, right? Like, don't mm. be this sensationalistic person. Just speak to the merits of what it is you are debating and, yeah. and, and do it that way. So, again, I think, though, Brian, I will say, like, though you said you I mean, the, we hope 99 percent of people would disagree with it. You read the tweet. Lots of people defending the guy. And I think that's the reality of the United States of America right now that we are not coming to terms with. Lots of racism, lots of justification for slavery still out there. But I think you're right. Like, just 
I I just think we need to own that it's evil, period. There's nothing that we can justify, nothing we can say that's good about it. For sure, I think we could agree that. And I do think, well, we probably don't have time for this. I just don't hear a lot of people. Twitter's crazy. Yeah, so I Twitter's just don't think, crazy. I don't think it's fair to say we have a national problem of not denouncing slavery. But when have we done it? Like, we we freak out about statues that get put up denouncing slavery. Do you know what I mean? Like, we've never publicly, communally, like, there have been, like, efforts in small towns to build museums uh, that are, like, here's a slavery history museum. But we've never publicly, like, like... Uh, ceremonially, formally so repented what would that and lamented. Look like for you? Is that like literally the president of the United yes. States getting up and just because I think they have, but I also I don't know those same people here. My point is, yes, Twitter. Small. I, I mean, I, yeah, I guess if that would be helpful, I would love to hear that from yeah. you know our African American brothers and sisters yeah. going to hear the president of the United States get up and maybe yeah. it's happened. Maybe I should do some research yeah. and be like, has this ever happened? Like, would that be helpful? Yeah. Maybe. I, I just have never – I don't get me wrong. I think we have race problems in this country that a lot of people like to put under the rug. I'm just yeah. not sure how we view our slave history as one of them. But I could be wrong. People could be listening to this going, yeah, you don't get it. I'm I'm open yeah. to that. Yeah. I don't know a lot of people who are like, you know what was good? Slavery. Now, yeah. Twitter, clearly there's people right. that, like, right. that didn't exist. Um, right. But but I guess I don't hear it a lot. But yeah, uh, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe if we do some research, go. You know what? No president has ever gotten up there and been like, "We got that wrong." Yeah, yeah, could be true. Uh, yeah, just a national, I think, day of like repentance and mourning. Some way to some way to, uh, just some way to own our country's sin. I think would be really helpful. But you're right. This guy is an outlier and dumb. It is the end of the show on a Monday, and we want to bring you something to put a smile on your face. But nothing more smiley than thinking about doing nothing. There you go. I actually had a friend who texted me this morning. Can you play, please pray for me? She has adopted four siblings. Okay, so they're oh, young kids around the same age. She's a single mom who adopted them. She said, I have no time to do nothing, and I'm dying to do nothing. That's and I'm funny. like, yes, girl, I will pray for that for you and see what we can do to help you make that happen. But there was a podcast, uh, Apple Podcast. Talking about this, the art of doing nothing with an artist named Jenny Odell. And it's not exactly what you think. So I want to play some of this conversation and then unpack it. So let's take a listen. I also have been thinking a lot about the sort of relationship between tiredness and susceptibility to doom scrolling or whatever you want to call it. Say so much more about that. (laughs) (laughs) I think when I say tired, I mean like spiritually Mm -hmm. tired or something, right? It's like I just find that in that state, it's so much easier to like fall into this pattern, this like easy habitual pattern. It's so familiar. It's like not really doing something, but it's not doing nothing. It's something. And then the worst part I find is that it wears you down more. Mm. You're just consuming more things that make you feel more spiritually tired. So then you're even more stuck. And it's just this like horrible feedback loop that you kind of know you're in, but you can't get out of because you're so tired. You know, I think that people think that they're solving the problem in some way when they do things like delete social media apps off their phone or put time limits or parental controls or even say like, you know, 
go for a walk outside. And they're like, ah, oh, that was very centering. And then they kind of sit right back down and go back to the same stuff. So you sort of made the argument that all of that is sort of fighting the battle on the wrong plane. I'm obviously opposed in the book to the way social media apps are designed, for example, to be very addictive and try to keep your attention all the time. But I don't actually have a problem with social media per se, insofar as like social media is just like means of communicating with different people. And I don't have any problem with that. And I think that's actually quite important for building like knowledge and movements and things like that. So what I ended up advocating in the book was really more of a like sort of let me pay attention to how I pay attention so that I cannot fall into these loops. Okay, so what Jenny O'Dell is talking about, Brian, is not just doing nothing like laying around, but really doing nothing related to social media. Mm. So she's talking about how she began to kind of pay attention to the way she paid attention and how when there was margin, space, gap in her life, she would fill it with social media, fill it with her Interesting. Newsfeed. And then she talked about how she realized then social media apps would use that, like her behavior, That's right. to keep her hooked. And, you know, all the things we know about social media, right? How they keep you on a line and it's so addictive. And then the end, they end up like using you and your information and selling it. And she's talking about really kind of the danger of the way that social media is like commodifying human minds right. and bodies and souls and like really, really interesting um, but she does kind of land on this, the art of doing nothing, like having margin in your life where you're not on a news cycle, you're not on social media. She talks about like being in nature and watching birds, right? you know? Um, so, okay. I know we've talked about this before, but I still think it's worth coming back to how do we practice the art of doing nothing in our lives and what's the value of it? So... This is where I struggle with doing nothing because I get really – when I do nothing, it usually still involves the television yeah. or just shutting down, right? But I think more what this podcast is talking about is the art of doing nothing is like being able to put our phones away, yeah. not be working, not be engaged in the day-to-day -day grind, but be able to go for a walk or play with my children or whatever else. And I think this is just margin and healthiness, right? This is why the Bible, uh, God mandates – Sabbath yeah, and rest. It's why, you know, rest is not just, hey, when you need it, rest. God says make rest part of your regular rhythm. And that's what I think about when I, when I hear what this uh, podcast had to say. It's not just the ability to lay on the couch and stare at the ceiling doing yeah. literally nothing. Yeah. But I yeah. think it's doing nothing that we would call, quote, unquote, and I think the quotes are important here, quote, unquote, productive. Where, oh, am I, am I doing something to further my career or answer emails or stay connected online or whatever else it might be? And when we just run that hard and we run that fast, you're going to burn out. Yeah. Like your, your engine can't do that. And so the question becomes, what's stopping you from going for a walk, for mm. uh, sitting outside and just listening to the birds, yeah. of having yeah. a catch with your kid or whatever else it might be? Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I this weekend was a weekend where I found that I just had I had a lot to do uh, just like, oh, this project, this project, this project, this project. But I had to like I had to even put it in my calendar. Don't do anything like just don't work. Don't I, and whatever. It wasn't all work related, but just like don't cross things off your to do list. Just like be with your family. 
be with your husband, Mm -hmm. enjoy life a little bit, go on a walk with a neighbor, you know, and it's just like funny how even my own instinct is I have to remind myself to stop what I'm doing and like look around at the world around me and enjoy life. And I think some of that is getting off of technology, like getting off our news feeds, getting off social media, getting off even like the shows we're addicted to on Netflix or whatever. Um, And some of that is just simply... It's not even about social media or technology. It's mm-hmm. just like, are you being present in the life that you have? Are you pouring into the people around you? I feel like you guys are good at that, creating family time and yeah. family moments. It, it, part of it is how much busyness there is in our family because of our children. Yeah. That yeah. It's a weird dynamic. When they were younger, it was all about Carrie and I schedules. And where could we find margin? And we knew that whenever I've, I knew that if I found margin, my kids were going to be there to go play with or to take to the park or to have a catch or whatever else it might be. Now it's a little bit reversed. I still have a busy schedule, but man, do my kids have busy schedules. And so it's like searching for the margin where they've got the ability to hang out and Mm -hmm. do things uh, and, and, and. Um, jumping on them and going, okay, we're going to set apart this time. It's a weird dynamic. I'm sure you feel it in your family now too. Like your kids are the ones that are in some ways driving the business. That's true. They're driving the social calendar quite a bit. And so it becomes important to teach our kids what it looks like to take a deep breath. What it tells our kids to, um, we did play that from that comedian last week where he was like, kids need to learn to be bored. Right, right. How do they not just fill their time with their their phones or whatever else it might be? I think... A big part of parenting right now is enabling and equipping your children mm. to not mm. always have to be running and on because they are. They are yeah. always on. That's true. It's, that's interesting to think about. Like, how do you do this as a family? Like, get your kids to slow down from activity to activity, but also get your kids not to fill in the gap all the time with their own technology, their own social media. Like, How do we all live? Because it's not going to go away. So how do we kind of live in this tech world and busy world Mm -hmm. in a way that allows for margin and being present in other ways and connecting in real life? And I think, you know, we need to keep having those conversations, at least remind ourselves to be mindful of, like Jenny O'Dell here says, the way we pay attention. Pay attention to the way you pay attention and note if you're paying attention to your real life at all. Yes, And uh, I think, I think doing that is a step in the right direction. Yeah, agreed. Well, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.